0: Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, "If you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole." I'm Youngmi Mayer. I'm the host. Each episode I have a guest on to share a sad story and then we try to laugh about it and make hair grow out of our buttholes. This week I have a very interesting guest and I don't think I've had a guest with this profession on the show before and I'm fascinated by it because I feel like it's very entrepreneurial and I like want to I want to like know about this. Um, and I want to know the working. So I'm probably going to ask a lot of annoying questions. But this week, I love annoying questions. Oh, you do? Good. I'm full I of I them. ask
1: really annoying questions. Like, I'm so nosy and so annoying.
0: Should I say that, like, middle school algebra teacher uh, response? Like, there's no such thing as an annoying question. All questions it's are valid. It's not true. No, there are annoying. Uh, well,
1: there's annoying questions. But, like, the thing is, annoying questions aren't necessarily a negative thing.
0: Yes, I feel like that my middle school algebra teacher probably said there's no such thing as a stupid question,
1: which also I don't think that's
0: true either. (laughs) There are many questions that are I'm known to ask many questions that don't make any sense. So without further ado, sorry, um, this week's (laughs) guest runs a online home goods shop. That specializes in tableware and coffeeware. That uh, honestly sells the cutest stuff I've ever seen in my entire life. Makes my eyeballs melt with joy. Their shop Thank is... You. <laughs> you're welcome. It's true. Their <laughs> shop is called Umeshiso. You can find it on Instagram at Umeshiso underscore. Also, um, my guest this week runs a... What, what would... You, a, a health health mental health care initiative where they raise money a non-profit
1: uh-huh
0: where they raise money for uh, mental health services Uh, for baristas
1: yeah yeah okay (laughs) it's currently it's currently on hiatus but yes we when we are active we raise money to provide psychiatric care for coffee workers
0: Yes, as a former barista, I can I can say that yes, that's much you? needed. Yes, I am a former barista. I was going to slip that in there, but might as well tell you. Oh, what. I want to
1: hear about this later. Oh, I'll okay. definitely get
0: into it. Um, I'm writing this down. And that is called Get Psyched Coffee, and their the Instagram mm-hmm. handle is Get Psyched Coffee if you want to look into that. Nonprofit. But everyone give give up your ears for the amazing Umeko Motoyoshi.
1: Hi! Hi, I'm Umeko. My pronouns are they, them. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited. I love Harry butthole.
0: Yes, thank you so much. I'm gonna edit in me pronouncing your name correctly. Umeko.
1: Oh, I don't, how did you pronounce it? I
0: said Umeko.
1: I don't, I um like pathologically don't notice when people pronounce my name differently from how I pronounce it because it's almost never pronounced the way that i pronounce it Mm. so i never notice
0: i took two years of japanese in high school so i I should be the one that knows yeah like the e in jap (laughs) like the japanese e is e. don't know what what just happened i gave you like a surfer (gasps) accent to your name i don't know why
1: (laughs) i like it i mean i think you could pronounce it that way Wait, like oh, I Michael. can't pronounce my name in, Japan, in Japanese because I don't speak, I mean, I oh, speak like, like a preschooler level Japanese, so I can't pronounce my name the way that someone who is a Japanese speaker pronounces my name.
0: You know what I think is interesting in Japanese when people, you know, speak like fluent Japanese, the, the, way, the place where they put the emphasis is always wrong, like I always say it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like if uh, somebody that was fluent in Japanese would say, say umeko, it would be like umeko or something. It's never yeah, what I in, think. In
1: Japanese, in Japanese, it's more like umeko. Oh okay. And in the anglicized more version is umeko. But I my dad, who was a native Japanese speaker, called me umeko. So that's what I think my that's what I think my name probably is.
0: Yeah, or you can just go full-blown wrong like me and say umeko can i just call you may that's easier for me can i call you may 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 i'm just kidding <laughs> um
1: did you ever do you ever have people ask you to call you strange uh, abbreviated versions of your name
0: okay so i was thinking about this actually on my way walk back home because i was out Just now, a lot of times people, because I texted you and I was like, hey, this is Young. And then it autocorrected. I wrote Young me, but it autocorrected to Young. So I wrote Young space me, like text me. Um, And I was just thinking like so many people call me Young without even asking. They just they just like they just decide my name is Young. And it's I was thinking about how that bothers me.
1: Is there a pattern in like demographically who does that?
0: I mean, it's mostly it's the white people, but I okay. I never know when they're gonna spring it on me. <laughs> they're like young. <laughs> they just decide to call me young. I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird, right? How about you? Do people try to yeah. shorten your name? Um.
1: No, I just. Like, the thing that happens to me most often is when I tell someone my name, they're like, oh, that's Japanese, right? And then they're like, I watch anime.
0: Wow. They're evolving. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The fact that they know that it's Japanese, that's like, that's big. That's a big step. That would not have happened, I think, in the 80s. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when, like, Japanese culture became really like popular to the point of being like somewhat like fetishized actually but i remember yeah. when i was wait i have when i was a kid i yeah. thought that like i noticed that people like i was like white people really really love japan and i thought it was because they felt guilty for dropping the animal, Hiroshima
0: no they never feel guilt that's not not, they
1: don't care they don't care
0: they don't even they barely know about that do they they must
1: i yeah i mean they just like that whole movie came out about it oh
0: right i love how that movie was not about japan just about the that one white guy
1: right killian killian I saw a video of him getting his name mispronounced right after he won his, I think, Oscar or something. Yeah. He's like, stand, like <laughs> he's standing in, in front of a photo wall and the photographers are taking his picture. And they're like, Cillian, Cillian, over here, Cillian, over here. And his face is so funny. He looks like he's dying
0: inside. he That's the representation we needed. Kill, uh, to be honest with you, I did not know it was Killian until you just said it. So I was kinda like, wait, who's Killian? I, I thought, I always saw it written down and I thought it was Sillian until just right now.
1: I thought, it okay, so I thought it was, I thought it was either like I was on the fence and when I uh, saw that video, that's when it really cemented it for me. That I was like, oh, okay. So it is definitely Kill Killian.
0: And then did he say anything? No. No, he just looked, I don't know, is he British? I thought he was Irish, but I just made that up in my head.
1: Irish. Uh, he, just because his he name is...
0: looks Irish on paper to me, I don't know.
1: Yeah, he just had I don't know, he had he has such a distinct face and it looks uncomfortable like a lot of the time, I think. Yeah. Um, but but I think it was genuinely more uncomfortable than usual. He
0: ha- he has that face of somebody that was uh, bewitched by a uh a uh, spirit a uh, sprite or something like a woodland sprite do you know what i mean like it was as a baby he was bewitched <laughs> like the day after he was born they bewitched him and then he had like a handsome squidward face
1: right <laughs> yeah um or or it could have been a changeling
0: situation
1: yeah, Where they mold, They like they created a baby out of clay and then
0: animated it I using forest magic. Exactly, that's exactly what happened. It's actually a woodland sprite pretending <laughs> to be a baby. Oh my god! Actually, when I was a kid, I I read a, I believe it was like it's probably like I always I'm like I read this book and then it turns out to be like Lord of the Rings or something. It's like I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. I do you remember the scene with the ring? <laughs> like there's a there's a really there's like a children's book and i believe it was set in ireland i swear to god oh my god this is his origin story and uh uh like a like a creature from the forest actually swapped places with a baby yeah okay do you do you remember reading anything like this was it killian's biography (laughs)
1: yeah <laughs> it was that did it involve leprechauns i don't want to be like offensive but did that, it that's so
0: offensive. no i don't think i don't remember much of the book except the beginning of the book was the spirit knew it was gonna have to swap places with the baby but they put it inside of a baby's like useless body so the, the spirit gets really mad like trying to, to like <laughs> trying to climb out of the crib like goddamn these weak muscles like that and then the mom comes home and the baby's just like standing like smoking a cigarette like standing in the window sill <laughs> and it's like oh no I got caught I got to act like a baby <laughs> it's it was like a good book except I don't remember anything about it
1: wait wait Wah, baby, baby. <laughs> wait <Where? laughs>
0: um wait but i did want to ask about your business because i uh, i do want to ask about it I'm, i know Killian, okay, yeah. what, I Killian's life is so it. interesting but um what what were the steps because i feel like in my mind you're like this new young crop of i don't know if you're gen z but like young entrepreneur business person how did you start your company Umishi so and what like what were the thoughts you had when you started it
1: um well I'm 36 so um oh I yeah no I'm I'm fully a millennial um so I don't know if you still want to follow this thread if I oh let's just um, actually
0: the interview is canceled please just go okay okay (laughs) Okay. No, I mean, uh it doesn't matter if you're a millennial or not. I feel like your business model is very in my perspective seems very like new and it does seem very like like you're on top of it. You did it, you know? Like how did that happen?
1: Uh well, thank you first of all. Um yeah, so I think my business model um just kind of evolved over time, but I like learned about how to run a business from living in the bay area and like working i had an alternate like i like entered an alternate dimension and was a tech bro for like 2 years wow. um i was like employee number 1 at a startup company that went through um y combinator which is a really big deal in like the bay area um and i like <clears throat> I was um, creating manufacturing processes for, like, instant coffee. Um, Like, high-quality instant coffee. Whoa. Um, And that was kind of where I learned how to, like, run a business because Mm -hmm. I had to do, like, so many different things in that role. Yeah. yeah. But then when I, I, like, left that company because I was incredibly unhappy um, and (laughs) I didn't, like, I hated it so much and I quit without notice one day without even intending to I just was in the middle of a meeting and I um you know quit so then I had to start a business because I didn't have any like money Mm. um yeah so I was already selling these um rainbow spoons like our our kind of first big product was a rainbow coffee tasting spoon
0: Mm.
1: um and I was selling these, they were super uh, popular with like my, you know, coffee friend group. So I just started full-time selling spoons and uh, and I started approaching my business with a, like the intention of wanting it to be like the opposite of what I had experienced when I was like working at a San Francisco startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I am now, basically, I think... <laughs> I learned kind of the basic rules of how um, like a business can run and I I kind of learned a few different kind of business models and then it's just been a lot of experimenting and a lot of trying to figure out like what is it that like how can I do um, how can I do like things that I enjoy and and have people, like, be interested in buying it. Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of finding, like, experimenting and figuring out, like, well, I like this thing, I like this thing, and I like this thing. And, like, this amount of people likes this thing, but this amount of people likes this thing. So Mm -hmm. we both like this thing. I'm going to go with this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of just testing things out like that based on, like, Here's something that I like, like, who else likes it?
0: Right. Well, you know what I think is so interesting about your story? You're like, I work for this tech startup in San Francisco, and that's where I learned what not to do. (laughs) (laughs) And then I did the opposite, and now I'm successful. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I
1: definitely was making a lot more money when I was working at a tech startup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't really have any money at all now, but I don't have
0: to, like, work at a tech startup. That's That seems like it's just <laughs> worth it. Um, also, can I ask... You lived in... Yeah. You lived in San Francisco, right? I did. Wait, do you still live in San Francisco? Okay.
1: No, okay, I moved to Kansas City, Missouri, like, right at the beginning of
0: the pandemic. Yeah, because I feel like that's when we talked last. I mean, like you know, talked as in on the phone. I think you had we a talked just, on the phone. Yeah, we we it was. <laughs> it's the second time I brought this uh, up. <laughs> like we uh, talked at it. We were in like a Zoom chat thing, and you said yes. that you you moved to Kansas City, but that's where you're from, right? No.
1: How wait? How do you remember that? I remember um, that. That is That is so impressive. And I feel very like flattered also um that you would remember that. So yeah, I I moved at the beginning of the pandemic because I um, you know, just hated living in kind of like this area of this area of the country that reminded me of like being around people who are really into the culture of like yeah like rap- rapid iteration and ab testing yeah you
0: know, you know what's? So- it was way like yeah way too expensive also san francisco is so expensive it's ridiculous you know what's so funny about san francisco i did live in san francisco so how long were you in san francisco like how many years
1: um i lived i lived in the I lived in Oakland and I worked in San Francisco uh-huh. for, I think it was altogether about eight years. Oh, I worked.
0: Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. When, so when did you, when were you living in San Francisco? Um, from 2005 to 2012 and it was like seven years ish. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. Cool. But yeah, yeah, I, I moved there like in 2012 or 2013. Mm. Oh right! So we just like missed each other. Yeah, but I feel like you were in San Francisco in such a like a fun time to be in San Francisco.
0: Yeah, I think it was definitely like when I moved there, it was still very like very hipstery and like yeah, just people wearing eyeliner and doing cocaine <laughs> at dive bars, and there were tech people, but not that many. You know, like yeah. And then by the time I left, it was kind of. Horrible, but um, but what was I gonna say? Oh, the the funny thing is, um, one of my friend, like one of my friends, she was like, oh, my brother is visiting, and he lives in San Francisco. You wanna go get dinner? And we were like hanging out and talking. He was like a super tech bro, nerdy guy, and he was just talking about how he was like, God, you know, like hang out with my friends in San Francisco. Everyone went to Stanford, and I was like. Dude, I lived in San Francisco for seven years. I've I never met one single person that went to Stanford, like not even one single like. I've, and he was like, "What? Like, what do you mean? That's like everybody in San Francisco." I was Like, I literally don't know a single person. <laughs> it was like two very and different if, San Franciscos.
1: Yeah. If you like, and if you did know someone who went to Stanford, they would have told you.
0: Yeah, I would have known
1: immediately. Yeah, I knew someone who went to Stanford. There was no way I could not know that
0: he went to Stanford. It was my boss. If they like and also, if, even if they don't tell you, they're wearing the hat and the sweatshirt. It's <laughs> like, All right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and the glasses, and the sunglasses just said Stanford. Um no, but I remember him saying that, and I was like, okay, so there are very different San Francisco's in San Francisco. So okay, can you talk about your past as a barista person? When did that happen? Was that just, like, a job that you had throughout your adult life? or? Yeah, I um, my dad was
1: a Japanese tea ceremony master. And, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, and wow. he taught Japanese tea ceremony. Um, I grew up on an island in... Um, a body of water called the Puget Sound that surrounds uh, Seattle yeah. you can only get there on a ferry boat wow and wow. yeah I started working at a little coffee shop um, in this small town it's like a small hippie town and um, I really liked it because it reminded me a lot of uh, of kind of what I'd grown up with with like you know preparing just preparing something nice to drink yeah and That was kind of how my dad approached tea ceremony in a very, um, like, a very kind of grounded way. And it wasn't like way out there and esoteric. Mm. It's just about kind of like celebrating a a moment of preparing something nice to drink for someone else. So that, that like resonated with me. And I liked the idea of specialty coffee. And it's like, oh, it's like kind of fancy. And Mm. I liked that you can, I like, I have ADHD and autism. And, Mm. um, so it's really, uh, there's something about barista work that works really well with my brain because Mm. there's a lot of stimulation. Mm -hmm. Um, so like my ADHD part of my brain is, um, is like has enough challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then also like I'm autistic so I love systems Mm. and I love efficiency and um, having that kind of combination um, made barista work really enjoyable for me. Uh, So I just kept doing it and I I uh, didn't end up going to college. I just wanted to like make coffee and learn about coffee mm-hmm. uh, became kind of a special interest for me I got kind of obsessed and spent all of my time like online researching coffee mm-hmm. how did you end up being a barista
0: I just like fell into it when I first moved to San Francisco and I ended up working at this place but then I also you know I'm just like I needed a job but I also yeah. ended up really liking it and I think it's like because um, you know the only work real work I've ever had is like in restaurant work and being a barista Mm -hmm. and I think being a barista was probably my favorite position I ever had in the like foods slash beverage service industry by far I loved it what did you love about it um I just liked because you know like what you're saying I do like the ritual aspect of me creating this thing and you know there's something so like finite about like a cup of coffee because obviously it's gone in like one three minutes but just like the knowing in that moment there's this like the special amazing thing and I did like I did enjoy the fact that when I first started working there I was like didn't you know I was like I just need a job who cares but um I started really caring about my fucking cappuccinos, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, and like the—I yeah. don't know what it's called—but that ribbon thing when the milk comes out, perfect. The Rosetta, the Rosetta, and I, I yeah. like—I cared so much about it, and um, yeah, there's something about it that's—it's it, like a skill, and I—I I think there's something so beautiful about that, especially. I, I think coffee is one of these special things that people do appreciate it, even shitty tech bros when they have a good cup of coffee even though they look down on you because you're not as smart as them because they went to stanford they they appreciate they're like yeah this is great like they appreciate it but you know in general skills like that uh like you know that are considered blue collar work like whatever brick laying or whatever yeah look down upon and it's so sad because they're like kind of beautiful yeah and it's like part of being a human to like know make something with your hands you know and there is a lot of creativity to it even though it's seen as a lot of that work is seen as like utilitarian but i do like that the convergence of like the utilitarian and the art artistry Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's uh yeah it's enjoyable you know you're creating something unlike tech bros yeah you know what are they creating is except debt and ping pong games i don't know burning man burning camps man boots i don't know what they i don't even know what they do i'm sorry no offense tech bros um i'm so sorry tech bros no like <laughs> thank you not, for instagram not hashtag,
1: hashtag not all tech bros <laughs> <laughs> no i know really nice ones i'm so no, i'm no, talking, they're great there's like yeah i'm like i'm not talking about if you're my friend and you're a tech bro i'm not talking about no you
0: no we really enjoy i really enjoy seamless thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just i'm totally this is just a joke um yeah i think that i like that about it and i miss it i miss making coffee but i kind of like i'm really fascinated about the fact that your dad had this career too so you come from a long line of specialty artisan beverage makers. How what what's the deal with your dad? Is it like a is it something that his family like his dad and his dad's dad did or is it just something that he got into?
1: Um it was just something he got into. Wow. He he was very um he, so he was like born in um, a Japanese internment camp mm. during World War II. Mm-hmm. And the experience of Japanese people coming out of the camps was very much like a huge pressure to assimilate mm. and um, like try to not act Japanese.
0: Mm. And
1: my dad's kind of like response to that was like kind of like a fuck you response and a, and a feeling yeah. of wanting to. um like learn a lot as as much as he could about japanese culture and like the japanese arts Mm -hmm. um and like zen buddhism so it was it was very he was very like
0: uh like very curious all the time about learning that's amazing and so then what was so his job in this in like america what what does that mean like what what did that entail um, well, so he he
1: didn't um, teach tea ceremony as, like, his main job. Oh, he worked... Okay, he had, like... He had, like, a bunch of side things that right. he would do. So he had an office job. He worked for the Department of Transportation mm. Monday th- through Friday. Mm. And, like, every minute that he was not at work, he was either, like, writing poetry or squid fishing. Nice. Or... <laughs> teaching yeah teaching like cooking classes or because he taught japanese cooking or mm. teaching tea ceremony classes that's awesome yeah yeah he was great at teaching and uh really charismatic
0: mm. uh, that's so awesome i was like what is that when you said t- japanese um tea ceremony master. I was like, "Whoa, like that's so cool." <laughs> <laughs> like the doors open and he's in like a robe or something. I was like, Ooh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's
1: got yeah, he's got a robe on and everything.
0: I love that. Um uh, oh, also It was I, very impressive. Yeah. I um was also going to say That's interesting to me about your barista experience, because that probably led to the reason why your business is so successful, because, you know, you knew like what baristas are looking for. Do you know what I mean? Or like when they're looking at a spoon or a certain, you know, like cups or something like that. Which I think is so funny because yeah. I think there's so many companies that start up and they're like, oh, we're going to make coffeeware. And it's like someone who's never had like a barista job, some <laughs> literal tech bro or something like, like we're going to make great spoons. and It's like doesn't work. A spoon that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, it's like when uh, design people like the Dyson guy, like those like design guys that are just like white guys and they design yeah. like things for babies like strollers and it's like the worst because like you, you can tell that they've never like spent one hour with their child <laughs> and you're like oh yeah this i remember when uh Vino you know, was a baby i bought like this super fancy stroller because i was like okay this one this is the one thing i'm gonna splurge on and i was like this yeah you could it was like the dyson of strollers and i was like this man what did it do nothing it was horrible i was like this man has never (laughs) even seen his child his children this 55 year old swedish man that invented this has never been around a child i was like this is the worst stroller why is it so expensive it was so bad I, like, envision it as
1: just, like, a smooth pod, and then you open it up, and then, like, the baby's inside.
0: Yeah, and they're like, look, it has, like, uh, EDM music that plays from speakers, and I'm like, that the baby doesn't want that, okay? <laughs> like, the so, baby's inside wearing, wearing Google glasses. Yeah, it's like, if Elon Musk invented a stroller, you know that stroller would suck ass. <laughs> He's never seen any of his children. He doesn't even know how many his children. His children hate him. Yeah. All nine hundred of them. He's never seen any of them. Oh. <laughs> um Yeah, it's funny. Um, okay, so Oh, also, can I just ask really quick? This is this maybe a, like a boring question. Are you doing stickers? Because you sent me a little box with stuff in it, and there's like stickers, oh, yeah. and you made little Mino stickers, which he loves.
1: Oh yay! Um, yeah, I well, I got a Cricut, oh. which is have have you seen this before? No. It's a vinyl. It's like a vinyl cutter, but it's kind of like the it's like a it's like the Elon Musk like <laughs> vinyl cutter. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. okay. It,
1: it is kind of like like a smooth pod, <laughs> nice. and you can um and you can like make, you know, like stickers. If you have a a like a decent just printer yeah. and a Cricut, you can make any kind of like stickers or decals or uh vinyl cutouts. You can do vinyl wraps on like glassware. There's Ooh. just there's a lot you can do with it. Like um, Midwest. Like Midwest white ladies
0: love crickets. Okay. And so do I. I'm going to look into it. I love crafting. It's very cool. Okay, It's very cool. Do you have the kind, I feel like my ADHD is the kind where I'm like, I'm really into this crafting thing. I'm going to spend $200 buying every single thing. And then I do it for like a week and I never do it again.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's me. And and then I'm like, okay, well, then I have to try to sell what I made on my shop. There you go. and I'll never make any more. So that'll be helpful for you if you, (laughs) yes. yes. What business are you thinking of doing? I'm curious. A business? Yeah, you've been, you've been saying like you're interested in getting entrepreneurial. Um, What would come to mind for you? Well,
0: see, I kind of have this idea, like what you were saying, where I have these little little hobbies that I start and then I give up on. Yeah. And I was like, what if I just have a website where I just sell all the weird little hobbies yes. that I start doing for two yes. weeks. Every two weeks it changes. Do you think people would like that? <laughs>
1: I definitely think so. I thought it would be super successful. And that's really smart. That's a very smart business model because you're not like um just buying a bunch of inventory and then like, it, like you're managing the inventory you buy. Yeah. So like you can do all the math ahead of time and be like, okay, I'm going to spend this much and then I'll make this much money and then I'm done. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Although what? if it, that, it doesn't always work that way. Cause like, again, I do have ADHD, so it's sometimes just way more chaotic than that.
0: What if I just, my business model is once I make the money back that I spent, on the crafts craft supplies then on to the next thing yes right i love
1: that okay. that's really smart yes all right yeah i can help you if you want help with uh, you know learning any cricket
0: uh type of tips or e-commerce <clears throat> okay i'm gonna really do that that's like like for two weeks and who knows what's next who knows <laughs> Nobody.
1: Yeah. If you ever have any questions about e-commerce, I, I'm always happy to talk
0: about it. It's really fun. The only thing that I struggle with is I do not want to go to the post office like or drop anything off yeah. or carry anything.
1: Yeah, we don't. So we are really lucky because we have um, a really we have a, a USPS pickup mm. um, and that. Some that there that doesn't actually mean anything, really. Like, it just depends on who's working. Um, so you can have like a USPS pickup, but they won't actually show up. Uh, but we're oh. really lucky because we have a mail carrier who's the best, like Sharon. She's a legend oh, in Sharon. our neighborhood. Yeah. And she she shows up and she takes our stuff every single wow. time. And I I can't express to you, like, how fantastic that is wow i've lived my whole life i like i spent like five years just trying to get usps to pick up my packages until sharon sharon came along
0: i can't believe that usps just sometimes they just don't do it it's like maybe we will maybe not it's a mess huh they're a mess i know so much dirt because i talked to sharon (gasps) about the usps sharon's like you have no idea
1: honestly you have no idea that place is falling
0: apart Ugh, i can tell when i go in there
1: yeah but you can send drugs through usps so that's a good oh really like, like legally? Use for that service <laughs> well legally they checking. are not allowed to open the package without a search warrant wow and they can only get a search warrant if they have a reasonable suspicion. Wow! And they are so understaffed, and they do not give a shit. They are not going to try to do extra paperwork to find out if you have drugs in your in your uh, package.
0: So that's like a great, good. That's great. <laughs> that's great. For, yeah, that's a good. That's the good part of the empire falling. <laughs> There's always a silver lining. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. It's not like the good old days when I was a kid. My grandma sent me like a box for Easter. And she sent like yeah. you, you know those cartons with the chocolate eggs, the cream. It's like it looks like a, they I, I don't know. It's like chocolate eggs with cream inside, but they put it into a egg. Yeah, carton to make it look cute, you know. And then, no, I've never. Oh no! I, yeah, no, I know that's really cute. And the USPS back then they opened it up and then p- poked a hole, <laughs> poked a hole in each and every egg to make sure there weren't drugs in there. And I got it like when I was like eight years old. I got it. I was like. Easter is ruined <laughs> <laughs> so it's not the, it's not like the good old days where they're checking your Easter eggs to make sure there's no cocaine in there
1: oh my god was that was there like some kind of like a like news story around that time where there like people like
0: smuggling drugs in eggs no, they just they went just came rogue. up with that on their own. Yeah, they're like, you know what? I bet someone snuck drugs in these Easter chocolate eggs, and I was like, each and every one of them. And then they put and then they packaged the back up. Like, okay, like what do you want me to do? <laughs> so funny. I feel like there was also one of those chocolate bunnies, you know? And then they like smashed. Yeah. It. <laughs> they smashed it. They're like, you never know. You never know what's in
1: these. they deliver your Easter basket like it's a threat it
0: was so awkward it was so funny and then it was literally like my parents were like so sad they're like Easter is ruined for the kids and we were like no (laughs) oh my god you can send you can send chocolate eggs now in the mail is what we're trying to say I think Yeah, and they can actually be full of drugs. Yeah, fill them up with cocaine. You don't even need to put them in the eggs anymore. Just sprinkle it on top. No one's going to look. Do whatever. (laughs) Um, Sharon's not going to say anything. Sharon's got your back. Sharon's going to make sure that your (laughs) cocaine (laughs) gets to its destination. USPS. That's their ad. (laughs) That's a great ad for USPS. They're going to get so much business after this um okay so what is your sad story very abrupt shift
1: (laughs) i love the abrupt segue (laughs) um there's no other segue that i can that i can fully keep up with to be honest
0: yeah
1: it has to be obvious um okay so i wanted to talk about i made some notes um but i i wanted to talk about the cults that i've been in
0: (gasps) oh my god really I w- oh my god that is fascinating. I fuck. Fa- why didn't you tell me? I would have like, we should have gotten into this. Oh my god, what? What do you mean, cults? Plural? Cults you've been in? Wow. Yeah, oh god, and I can't they're wait.
1: surprising. They're surprising cult stories. It's not what? like, it's not like a a Netflix documentary. It's a different. It's like a totally different thing.
0: Oh my god. So uh.
1: Yeah, and it had a profound impact on my life, I'm and sure. I'm not the same person because of it. Um, but I guess uh, there's, like, a lot of, there's kind of a lot of threads. I was trying to think about, like, where to start, and I think I would start in the internment camp. Yeah. Um. So, it's, like, 1944, uh-huh. Um. All the Japanese people in the U.S. have been rounded up and put into prison camps, mm-hmm. um, including, you know, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather and my grandmother met in the prison camps. <gasps> uh, they got married there. They conceived my dad, and he was born in um, in a, a prison camp. Wow. He lived in... The desert, the Wyoming desert, yeah. the barracks were constructed using green wood to save costs. So as the green wood dried out, um, it warped and, and shrank and there were cracks all throughout the walls. So it wasn't really like you were even in fully in a shelter. Mm. Um, and the desert, like sand would blow through the cracks and my grandmother was always dusting just constantly just like dusting the barracks because the sand was always coming in and it was so cold uh in the winter time that you could take a wet towel and just walk outside and snap the towel Mm -hmm. and it would flash freeze and the ice would snap off of it wow yeah and they're uh they're surrounded by barbed wire there's like gun towers guns pointed at them all the time, and that's where my dad was, was born, and that's, I think, like, the genesis of a lot of what's happened in my life, um, hmm. so then I would say, I would then go to, like, 2002, mm-hmm. okay, so i go to 2002, um, and I'm 14 years old, uh, and I'm missing, like I'm, I'm missing. What? I was in the house and then I wasn't in the house. We lived in the middle of the woods, mm-hmm. you know, on this Island and I was just gone and my parents didn't know where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, they called the police, the police started searching like all over the, My family's um, property, we had like a a half acre of woods. And then next to like our half acre of woods, then there's just other people's woods. All of the woods just being searched through. Um, My friends were all called and questioned by the police. And then they finally found me uh, the next day in the morning. And I was in the woods, passed out. Drunk off my ass with severe hypothermia. Mm. So I guess then I would move back to like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. when I was like a little kid, like growing up, like my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a very well-behaved kid. Mm-hmm. I was autistic and taught myself how to read when I was four and I just was pretty quiet I spoke like an adult Mm. um and I uh I really liked to read like Newsweek and Time Magazine Mm. (laughs) um and I just kind of was a little bit like in my I was very much like in my own world Mm -hmm. um I was myself kind of um just a strange kid from being uh, like having ADHD and having autism and being like, Whoa! yeah, <laughs> um, but trying to like control it, yeah, and trying to present as being like very well behaved, yeah, you know. Um. So by strange, I just mean that like, I talked like an adult, and I was like dissociated most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So. how this happened like me being dissociated all the time it was because I was terrified of my dad so Mm. he like he got out of the camps and his family was like destroyed from the 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 whole experience of being rounded up losing everything um at one point like my great uncle he Uh, resisted the draft because the government tried to draft like the Japanese men out of the camps to to serve on you uh, you know uh, yeah so then like my you know my uncle was put in federal prison because he like was part of organizing and resisting the draft and then um that was very uh stigmatized like that the draft like resistance was very stigmatized in the camps and divisive my family was just, like, a mess. Wait, this is your and uncle or
0: your great uncle? Great, great right,
1: uncle. Right. Just, great just uncle. Checking. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: because yes, cause I know your dad was a baby. So that's why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, so it was stigmatized. So they were, like, sort of, like, looking down on him. Yeah. yeah. So in the camps, there At, was, the like, camp, this yeah. um,
1: propaganda group that was spreading, like, this newsletter talking about how, like, everyone who is resisting the draft, they were hurting... Everyone else's chances of getting
0: out of the camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, which, you know, probably to some extent was tr- not true, but, like, obviously it's, like, you want to... It's, like, the model minority thing, you know, f- how Asian people react to being victimized in America or, like, everyone just act as nice as possible so we get out of yeah. trouble, which is so messed up because, like, there was no reason for them to be there in the first place because none of them did anything wrong to begin with, but... Right, that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. So sad. they after they got out of the camps, like really, really sad. So sad.
0: Um, and also, your great uncle was right. That's fucked up. Why? What, what do you mean you're gonna draft yeah. me after imprisoning me, and you're gonna force yeah. me to go fucking kill other Japanese people? Like, what the fuck? That is psychological and terrorism. It wasn't
1: even. It wasn't even just like, oh, we're going to draft you. They got drafted into a segregated unit that specifically was used like as cannon fodder. And it was the most highly decorated military unit of its size because so many people in that unit died. They had to fully replace the entire unit like constantly because they would just put Japanese people into this unit and then they would die. That's
0: so fucked up. Basically, yeah, like sending them to their death. Yeah. That is so fucked up. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, nobody
1: really <sighs> knows about it.
0: That is terrifying. God,
1: so, so this was like, yeah, like that. Like my family was dealing with things that were, when like we're all just human people, and things like war happen, and and like nobody's equipped to deal with that. No. Nobody's equipped to deal with that, and it destroys people. And um, my uh, dad's. Uh, family got out of the camps. They moved to Los Angeles um and and lived in like a Japanese mer- uh a Japanese neighborhood in Los Angeles. Yeah. And then my grandfather was like became a horrible alcoholic. My dad was like super traumatized. He um didn't really get parented because his mom was like working in a sweatshop all the time to support the family and his dad was drinking or leading oh his dad was a presbyterian minister yikes so he and he led a like a drunk bible study for japanese ladies
0: drunk bible study for they, japanese ladies i love that they weren't drunk he, he was drunk oh he was drunk. Um, okay i thought everyone had to be yeah. drunk. i'd be like sign me up
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he was very popular with like the japanese ladies and they loved his like drunk bible study
0: that's um, the only way to make yes. bible study bearable for me i have to be w- shit-faced <laughs> Then I'm like, sure, I'll go. I'll I'll go right now. It's 10 a.m. Let's go, everyone. Um, that's amazing. So,
1: like, yeah. So my dad grew up in this environment that's like super unstable, really traumatizing, and grew up with a dad who was like a Presbyterian minister and considered a sort of a spiritual leader, like in his community.
0: Ooh, I see where this is going with the cult stuff. I see where this is going. Yes.
1: My dad uh, was really studious as a kid. He just spent, he, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't parented. He didn't have, mm-hmm. like, he couldn't come home and do activities. He just did after school, like, he, he was in the band or he would, like, go to library and study. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a full ride scholarship to Harvard. He was, <gasps> like, very, very smart. Wow. Yeah. That's and amazing. he was very charismatic, just like his dad. He was, um, like, also like his dad women loved him like mm. and he was not conventionally like a handsome conventionally attractive guy mm. like he was just like a guy but Had charisma. he like, didn't have any hair yeah yeah the charisma so he started his own religion
0: <gasps> wow wow also, can I just point out before you go, I, I'm like so enthralled by the story, but can I just point out, your dad is so Asian. It's like, yep, he was born in an internment camp, alcoholic dad, a sweatshop mom, Harvard. Went to Harvard. Yep. <laughs> Scholarship to Harvard. <laughs> God, Asians. We're not beating the allegations anytime soon. <laughs>
1: Truly. <laughs> Truly. So I grew up in a religion that my dad made up. What's it called? Yeah. Is it still going? It was. Oh, wait, sorry. It's, I don't, it's no longer going. It it was called the Tale of the Crows Society.
0: The Tale of the Crows
1: Society. Yeah. Wow. So it was, um, it was like my dad and his best friend, they were kind of the unofficial leaders of the cult. And it wasn't exactly, it's like a soft cult. Okay. Okay. It doesn't... There was no, like, official, like, doctrine. Um, There was no, like, money involved. We didn't, like, have a compound. Uh, There wasn't, like, surveillance or control. Like, people just kind of would come and go freely. And just the thing that was weird about it was, like, they just made up their own religion. (laughs) Um, Having said that, though, like, my there's no like official like mm. these are the rules this right. is what we believe interesting it was more folk rich right. than that i guess yeah um but my friend who also grew up in that religion um he his his dad was the other like unofficial leader mm. so he was my dad's best friend and he, what he's said to me at times has been that he very much experienced it as a cult when he was growing up Mm. and I can completely understand like where he's coming from with that. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, so, but yeah, like we, it was basically just like a cultural appropriation, um, like mishmash, Mm. uh, It was a group of middle-aged, like, white men with big, long beards and, like, my dad, this, like, bald Japanese guy. And they just, like, decided they were going to practice um, this religion comprised of pieces that they sort of picked, cherry-picked out from different, uh, like, indigenous cultures. Wow. And, yeah, plus adding their own special beliefs, like, blue sparkle people
0: blue sparkle people yeah what are blue sparkle people
1: <laughs> um well you only see them out of the corner of your eye
0: it's part of the religion that's all it's I can tell the you s- the that's... sisterhood of crows or something what's it called again the story Ta-
1: oh the tale of the crow the society the and it was society. it was
0: very much a brotherhood, brotherhood not sorry. a sisterhood Like I just said that because yeah, of the traveling like pants very... so I don't know why right. I didn't mean to say sisterhood <laughs> I just—that's what came out of my mouth. I did not mean it. I just... um, okay,
1: so I feel Town like I'm cross. just like talking yeah. like without stopping because no, I I'm stop. getting
0: into I mean, it. Please start. Keep okay. talking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please go.
1: Um. Yeah. So I. Uh, I think you know my experience growing up in that like religion was just. Like, the, my sense of what was normal mm. never really developed. <laughs> um, and I think, like, the part about it that I found most problematic was that um, I didn't like a lot. So, a lot of children who grow up in those kind of like flower child environments mm-hmm. end up being very adultified.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And- that makes sense that you were seeing that about yourself as a kid
1: yeah yeah so i
0: someone and when you have a kid who
1: exactly yeah Yeah. like um when you have a kid who doesn't really know if they're a kid or an adult it's really easy for that kid to end up in really bad situations um yes and like there was all this there was like just a lot of nudity in the cult oh God. I mean the re- like soft cult relig- I'm just gonna call it a cult but it's not like a Netflix documentary cult I, I
0: know exactly um, what you mean because I feel like words feel very strong I think to be fair to be honest I think if other people experienced your childhood you know And I'm not trying to use like this normal childhood, not normal. I I, like I don't really like that label. But like if other people saw what you went through, they would be like, oh, that is very different. But I I know what you mean when you have to use a certain word for something. And it's like the word cult feels so strong, even though, yes, that's like Mm -hmm. what people would call it if they experienced it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I totally get what you're saying with that.
1: There wasn't like violence or murder, you know, like it wasn't, it was nobody was like the, the I think the like high level of control in cults is what cool was it. like missing. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. So, um, and that's not to say though that it wasn't problematic because like there was, so yeah, so there was like a lot of nudity and it wasn't presented necessarily in a sexual way. It was just like, yeah, sometimes people are like just naked. And like I saw all of my friends' parents naked. Yeah um and so if you tell a kid it's normal that sometimes people are just going to be naked like that kid's not going to be able to protect themselves or Mm -hmm. understand if something's bad happening yeah so i was fully like groomed and molested by an older kid in that group and i believe that he probably had the same thing happen to him like by one of the adult members
0: that checks out I do, I do think that there is this, you know, idea of a lot of people have this idea of like the hippie, because I, I know you said something like the flower power sort of yeah. hippie dippy. flower child, flower yeah, child, like this very open, artistic, free like uh, thing that it is there's parts of it that are very beautiful and great and admirable but then there are other parts where it's like there boundaries exist for a reason and when there's children yeah. children need uh, boundaries and limitations for protection you know it, it's not all peace and love when there are children involved that need to be protected you know
1: yeah definitely so i would say like the the main complaint that I would have about my childhood is that, like, I wasn't protected. Yeah. I wasn't protected from
0: there were no adults who
1: very obviously... Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that... That whole upbringing, plus, like, my dad was super... had, like, uncontrollable rage episodes.
0: Ooh. Well, um, I was going to ask because you said was... you were terrified of your dad. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, And he was... He was very scary. Um, at the same time, he also was capable of being, like, very loving and very wonderful. And he was, like, two fully two people. Mm. Um, but the only, like, part of him that was publicly understood was, like, the the part of him that was very loving mm. and, like, funny and charming and charismatic and generous. Um, and then I saw this side of him that was so different. And it was very isolating. You know what? Um, And yeah. I sorry
0: Go ahead. No, sorry. Is it annoying that I keep uh, like in- like interrupting you? Because I don't know if you. Wanna... No,
1: because I interrupt. We both have ADHD. It's a sign of respect in our
0: culture. <laughs> I saw a tweet that said that. It is actually. It means that I like really am listening to your story. Actually, <laughs> um no. I was gonna say, you know, when you were talking about your grandfather. And I was gonna say it must have been very confusing for your dad to see this pastor, right? That's seen as a, because like pastors are seen as the good guy in in yeah. uh, society, but then behind closed doors he's an alcoholic and he probably did a lot of fucked yeah. up shit to you know your yeah. grandma. I'm just you know assuming with oh, all. Oh yeah, that. he
1: was very abusive. Yeah,
0: and like yes. uh, that must I, I must. I think one of those, it's like one of these things where I've known a handful of people that were children of pastors in my life. A lot of them are Korean. (laughs) Koreans love Christianity. And they, I think they have that really fucked up rift in their minds that because they see this, their community uplifting their father as this beacon of righteousness and he's only does good and he's a man of God. And then behind closed doors, he's like beating their mom up and that that yeah. like trying to like digest that i think fucks with people really hard and it doesn't surprise me that you're saying like your dad kind of uh, perpetuated that kind of behavior like the community sees him on this sweet loving yeah. artsy flower child guy and he's full of rage at home like that makes a lot of sense to me yeah 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 um
1: so I, it, the result was like, I, by the time I was 13, I was suicidal. Mm. Like I was very, very traumatized and very mentally ill. Yeah. Um, and I asked my mom if I could go to therapy. I had read an article about like, ch- like childhood depression. And I was like, I'm a child and I, I think I have depression. Yeah. Um, I asked my mom if I could go to a therapist and she was like, oh, no, you don't need a therapist. Um, So I just I ended up just like abusing prescription drugs uh, because I was so unhappy and I didn't have any way to process it. How did you get the drugs
0: in the Easter eggs that your grandma sent? I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yes. In the Easter eggs. She sent them via USPS every time
0: wait where did you get the prescription drugs you had a prescription or
1: um i stole them from you know yeah yeah, like my parents or my friend's parents or um i started getting my own prescriptions because i was like trying to kill myself all the time so they gave me like klonopin prescriptions um Mm. and i would just like hoard the clonopin and I had this little diary I was like 13 and I had this little flowery diary with a lock and I cut a hole into wow. it and stashed my Klonopin in my flowery little diary with a lock wow um and I wasn't trying to be bad I wasn't You're I like to literally was so unhappy yeah. yeah yeah I could not bear to like just exist wow and that's how I ended up, uh, you know, in the woods, drunk, passed out, having, uh, ingested a bunch of Klonopin and drank on top of it Wow! at 14 years old, uh, 14 years old. Mm. Um, and I like, it was so scary for my mom and I feel so like regretful about that to this day, mm. um, it's not something that I believe, like I was a kid and I was doing my best and I would never like, I don't feel like I, like I'm a bad person because of it. But like, I really am haunted by how scary that must've been for my mom. No. After that,
0: what were you saying? Oh no. I like, I'm obviously I was just, I was just gonna um, repeat what you just said. Like, I I hope you don't, you know blame yourself because you were literally just trying to survive like that is tough on a little kid yeah 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 and then um yeah
1: yeah so that was i they kept asking me like the doctors and the police because the police were called and you know um it was like a cop that found me and they kept asking if i was trying to kill myself and i kept telling them like no i just like didn't like i don't want to feel you know, mm-hmm. I'm like 13. It's like, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept saying over and over again, like, I no, I wasn't trying to kill myself. I wasn't trying to die. I just like didn't want to feel. And I am just like so sad. And then they diagnosed me with alcoholism.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And I had to go to AA meetings with adults, starting from when I was 13 years old
0: adults are so fucking stupid like they're so bad at mental yeah
1: yeah and okay so like have you you ever like known anyone who's gone to aa or like had any kind of like maybe gone to a meeting or like Uh, any kind of experience or exposure to it i've
0: known people who've gone to aa and i i have heard that it is kind of cult adjacent
1: yeah, it's it is very so AA is like a pretty like large sprawling amorphous like network of meetings that are just started by like pretty much anyone who wants to start mm-hmm. a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um and each meeting <clears throat> kind of becomes its own like uh entity like there's a culture around that specific meeting mm-hmm. and like there are AA halls where there's like a culture in that hall. Uh it's like there are like AA communities that are loosely organized but they are all like reading the same book they have the yeah. big book mm-hmm. that's like their the. it's like their bible yeah. and they are all interpreting the big book in the same ways it's called <laughs> the big
0: book it's literally called that
1: I, yeah it's just oh. called the i think it's called like Alcoholics Anonymous or like I don't know what the actual name is to be honest that's really funny (laughs) but I it's just called the big book (laughs) um they would have big book studies like bible studies wow um and so like every like every meeting every AA culture is its own world kind of and the one that I ended up being involved with in this like hippie you know, hippie town in the middle of nowhere was, like, very, uh, harmful. It was a very Mm. destructive, uh, situation for me to be in because I was 13 years old, Mm. and I was going to AA meetings with adults. I was required to because I was being sent to, um, like, outpatient, and I went to inpatient rehab, and that was, like, requirement Mm -hmm. so I had to go to AA meetings and they encourage you to go to a meeting every day
0: oh god
1: so there were like there I I felt guilty if I went to a meeting like fewer times than three times a week I would feel guilty and they would say like if you don't go to enough meetings like you're gonna relapse and die they're constantly telling you like you're gonna die if you leave AA you're gonna die if you don't work the steps you're gonna die it's it's very scary and they also tell you that it's all your fault
0: wow like
1: they say the reason why you're an alcoholic is because you're spiritually sick and you were born with a
0: god-shaped hole oh my god they say that at aa yeah to 13 year olds oh my god that's so messed Um, up
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I have friends who go to AA now and they're like, it's not like that at the, it's not like that now. Right. I'm sure there's um, like what
0: you said, like every group is different. It's basically based on who's running it or something.
1: Yeah. um, But I think like, I I took to AA like a like a duck to water because mm, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in an environment that was not like... it it really primed me to be fully like brainwashed by AA and I do consider myself to have been fully brainwashed for like six years for my entire like teenage years I
0: think people are so they don't understand that okay like you know obviously if people are listening and think that we're talking shit about AA I think there are things that are meant for adults like AA yeah where if you are an adult and you have like a fully developed brain you can process it and understand it in a way that you cannot when you're 13 because this kind of reminds me obviously not as uh not as serious but it reminds me of my friend's experience uh when she was like 10 or 11 with Weight Watchers where her mom forced her to Mm -hmm. go in and like she was too young to understand what it was and you shouldn't put a child in Weight Watchers you know and like yeah and um like as an adult if you went into that system you would have like structures in your mind to understand what's going on but as a kid you're just like this is the doctrine i must live my life based on weight watcher you know like it's not meant for children no it's not yeah yeah it sounds rough
1: yeah and i was in meetings with like the parents of the boy who molested me (gasps) oh my god it was really it was really wild um and, the, like, the adults in AA did not have any kind of appropriate boundaries, um, like, at all. And AA, in my experience, like, cultivated um, an environment that primed people to be, like, abused.
0: I could see that. They had
1: a culture of, like, oh, we hug in AA. You have to hug people when you meet them. And if you don't, like, oh my God. hug someone when you meet them, then it's, like... It's like, oh, like, well, you're not, like, really, this, like, in AA, you're, you hot, hu- we hug, okay? Um, and I was, like, 13, and and there was so many, uh, so many fucking old, creepy men, like, every single meeting that I went to, which they would just line up to get their hug from me, um, I and imagine. I wasn't protected by any other adults there, um, They have these rules about, like, don't, it's called don't take someone else's inventory. And that means stay out of their business. Like, whatever someone else does, like, you don't, that's not your business. You focus on your own stuff. And so, like, this guy, this old guy at one point wrote me, like, a sex poem. Oh,
0: my God. When I
1: was, like, 17. He wrote me a sex poem, and he gave it to me, uh, at a a meeting and I was like really freaked out I was 17 years old I was like do you know that I'm 17 and he was like yes what of it (laughs) um so I told like you know I had like my AA lady friends and I told them and I thought they would like protect me and they didn't they just glared at him
0: god it just sounds like it's like it was very set up literally for grooming and abuse which sounds like also you know the cult that you grew up in And then the AA is an Mm -hmm. extension of that. It just sounds like you were let down by all of the adults in your community, you know, so hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I was in high school and the entire time I was in high school, I didn't really have very many close friendships with like people my age. Yeah. I spent most of my time hanging out with like, 30- thirty and forty year olds who went to AA. <sighs> it's so bad.
0: It's so rough.
1: Yeah. Um, in some ways, like it was positive because um, you know, like some of my AA lady friends were really like nice and I could just go to their house and they felt protective of me and they felt sorry for me. And it was nice to be able to go to like like to be around adults that weren't like scaring the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was like positive in, in some ways, in other ways, like I ended up being treated like an adult by these adults, just as I've been treated like an adult by all these other adults in my life. So I, they would like tell, they would like confide in me this, this one, um, this one friend that I had, she was my, she was the mother of a kid I went to school with and she confided in me that she'd been stealing from her job for years and she couldn't stop and I knew her I like it was a tiny town I knew her workplace I knew her boss um and I was like okay well I was counseling her and and she was really beating herself up and I was like telling her you know like I it's sometimes it's hard to stop something and it doesn't mean you're a bad person um it's, it's, like, understandable if you're under all this stress that you're dealing with, um, that, like, you want to seek something out that gives you relief.
0: As a child, you were telling that to an As adult. A, yeah, so I was, like, 15. Yeah. Severe role reversal. Yeah. 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 She's so like, in her
1: 40s, 50s. Um. Wow. So I left the cult eventually, though. <laughs>
0: You left AA. Yeah. (laughs) How long were you in it?
1: But six years.
0: Hmm. Six years. But that's like those are formative years. (sighs) Yes. Wow. Those
1: are the worst years to be misdiagnosed as an alcoholic and forced to join a cult.
0: That's so messed up.
1: Yeah, where you're told every day that you're spiritually sick and that you will never ever get better
0: that is so messed up
1: yeah so i was 19 and uh i had moved out of my parents house Mm -hmm. um i the first job that i got i wanted to be of service which is like um an aa thing Mm. and it means donate donating your label let your labor for free to continue to like run kind of like the the Organizations and the meetings and the initiatives and different things that they did.
0: <coughs> yeah.
1: Um, so I went to go work at the rehab where I had been sent, mm. the like inpatient rehab. It was horrible. It was like horrifying. It was a horrifying experience. I quit after six months. After I quit, a bunch of the staff members got fired for sleeping with adolescent patients. Oh God. And the director of treatment committed suicide. <gasps> Like, self. wow. Yeah. So this is like a twelve-step based program, and it's like there's just a lot of darkness that's associated yeah. with these programs. I think. Yeah. Um. And I think I like. Yeah. Go
0: ahead. Sorry, I. I don't mean to interrupt you. I just. I think a big, like a big, like, uh, what's up? big picture mm-hmm. theme in your story as well <coughs> excuse me is that mental health issues for children and, t- and adolescents there is so much room there for abuse because you already know that these you know like i know that we've like sort of touched on these terms like grooming and things like that but like in that field, I can see how people know that they can take advantage of these children because, yeah. first of all, the blame is placed primarily on you and all of the programs that are meant to help these children, you know, including AA, like which is the one that you went through, they have these systems in place where the blame is turned inward to the children. And maybe, like I said, maybe a, there is... If you're like a 45-year-old alcoholic and you fucked up your entire life and your friends let you steal from yeah. your friends and you fucked up your family, maybe you do need to hear, hey, this is your fault. Yeah. You know, I mean? yeah, yeah. You know like maybe yeah. there needs to be some accountability there, but not, like when you're yeah. when you're using that program for a child who's basically going through an abusive situation at home. And they don't even know, right? When you're that age, you don't. it doesn't even occur to you that the reason that you're taking all this yeah. Kalana pin is because you're being abused and you're scared and you're terrified all the time. And you put that child in this uh, program and it's like uh, making them feel accountable, you know, and making them feel mm-hmm. like they're responsible and they're adults. That's so like ripe for abuse. And I think- yeah. I think um, I'm really glad you shared this story because I'm sure I know so many people you know I was gonna say um, when you st- when you m- said up top like oh I want to talk about the cults that I've been in one of my friends <laughs> one of my friends who also grew up in the Seattle area um, went to was uh, like forced to enter a cult as a teenager because she was like a troubled mm-hmm. kid uh, maybe you've heard of it I forgot what it's called but it's like the nature one where Paris Hilton went to Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: uh, Oh, Provo Canyon.
0: Yes. So my friend went to that. The Provo Canyon school. And um, she... Oh, my God. She's, like, part of the... um, Right now, there's, like, this whole movement to try to, like, take it down. There's been documentaries about it already. And obviously, Paris Hilton came out and said she was severely abused. And so there is a movement to, like, show how much abuse has been going on there. But... Yeah. The thing that strikes me is the similarities between your story, like your story and my friend's story, is that because you were seen as, quote unquote, problem children, it's kind of like, well, they're fucked up. So we're going to we're going to send them to this thing and uh, they're fucked up. So whatever they do is going to be their fault and no one's watching you or protecting you or making sure you're okay. And the reason why you were, quote unquote, like fucking up or acting out in the first place was because you were like going through something that was being done harm that was being done to you. You know, it wasn't like you're a bad kid yeah. and you have, you're you you just like booze or whatever. Like, a, you know, bad kid, <laughs> <Yeah>. you're going <laughs> to drink drink and smoke cigarettes in the back. You know, <laughs> like there's something being done to you, and um, it's it's like this whole system set up to take vulnerable children and put them in more harm's way. You know, yeah, it's really sad. yeah. I think
1: I mean the mental health the mental health field i yeah. i see it as part of like the prison industrial complex yes
0: yes you're totally right i totally see that and it, like it's yeah it's i just want to say i'm so sorry that you went through that it must be really fucked up to like realize that as a kid you're forced into the system of abuse you know it you is like very land fucked fucked to the slaughter kind of
1: and i so i left i stopped going to aa when i was uh 19 after i moved out of my after i moved out of my parents house and like i stopped talking to my dad completely Mm. um i i also left the cult like i i would definitely call the aa community i was in Mm -hmm. a cult i could see yeah i agree Um, with you yeah so uh and what it was just one it was like a moment where i was sitting in a meeting i remember it was really hot in that room it was like summertime it was in a church Mm -hmm. um it was a women's meeting and there was uh, a woman who was talking about like how she had just done a bunch of heroin and like she you know stole like a like some she was compulsively just like stealing from all of her friends because she had to buy heroin and I was like I i don't relate to this yeah i i i don't relate to this and i don't know you and i don't think you should be telling me this i don't think you should be telling a room full of strangers Mm. this um every like and it's not just like it's not like you get help Mm -mm. from it it's like people would just go and just talk about, like, all the fucked up shit they were doing and how bad they felt about it. And then they would just keep doing it. Mm. And, uh, and I was looking around, I was just looking around and I, and I was just thinking about, like, what the people were like that I knew in AA. Mm -hmm. And I had been living, like, outside of my parents' house for a while. I had a full-time job. I was, like, paying my rent. I was becoming an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be around these people. They don't have any boundaries. And I want to have, I want to have a life where I can have boundaries. And that was really what it came down to for me in that moment. That's what like got me out was I was like, I don't relate to these people and I want to have boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> That's like, that's like very astonishing that you were able to have the clarity of mind. I mean, obviously, because I think you're very intelligent, and you're very like in touch with who you are, but um, it's astonishing because like you were almost set up to never get to that point, you know, as a kid, like people were like setting you up to fail, to have poor boundaries and not realize that you deserve boundaries and be like, yeah, it's okay. We're all naked give me a hug yeah you know like let's yeah i want a hug right now (laughs) let's all jump in the sweat lodge yeah 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 and like how astonishing that you were able to like work your way out of that you know what i mean and it's sad that there was nobody there to protect you and but you had the strength to protect yourself. And that that must feel very sad, even though I think it does. you were very yeah. courageous and it took a lot of strength to do that. It must feel sad because it's like somebody should have been there to do that for you and nobody did it for you. And then you had to do it by yourself yeah. when you were 19. And then you got so many fucking yeah. uh, hugs along the way that you did not want, you know, that's fucked up. Yeah yeah definitely so fucked up but i'm very very proud of you that you took your life into your own hands and saved yourself that takes so much strength thank you and i also think that
1: for me like i i have spent you know basically my whole adult life trying to break out of the cycles of like abuse and trauma that um that have like haunted my family for such a long time, and and like I I think that when when I look back at like my dad's life and my grandfather's life, mm-hmm. they were trying to break. They were trying to break out of that cycle. Yeah. My grandfather, the alcoholic, the the drunk, the drunk Presbyterian ladies' man. <laughs> um, he was like his, he his dad was. In the Japanese military. Wow. And yeah. And he decided that he he, like renounced his family basically. And he decided to become a pacifist and move to the U.S. to study God. And he was not like he was a really fucked up person. And he didn't know like how to be a good person. Um, But I... I see that he was trying and He's I know trying. that my dad was trying too. Yeah, my dad tried all these different therapies and I see the cult as another way that he was
0: trying to heal. Yeah, that is very gracious of you and that's very thoughtful of you to see it through their perspective, you know, it's it, it's like, it doesn't
1: it doesn't change the harm, though. Yeah, it doesn't like both are it. true
0: exactly yeah yeah it doesn't change the harm yeah. but yeah i think it's a big moment of realization i think um i've had you know realizations like that when just thinking about all the harm that uh, you know my parents have inflicted on me and i was like they never nobody very few i'm sure there are people out there it's like i i know there are people out there that try to cause harm to other people right we've all seen that sociopath on tiktok but yeah, <laughs> who's a you no know, self like like she like the one the identifies one identifies as like, a, yeah she's like I'm am she- a diagnosed sociopath let me tell you and like that woman the Australian sociopath <laughs> who loves being a sociopath like we we know that that exists but so few people and I think so few of our parents set out to fucking ruin our lives they were trying very hard not yeah. to do that and yeah yeah, it doesn't mean that it's it's okay that they ruined our lives it just means that you know yeah there is room for compassion and nuance yeah i feel like that's something that i really (sighs) admire about you
1: and like about how you've talked about your parents and your relationship with your parents now and during childhood and i think it's really um really difficult to cultivate an understanding of like a a very difficult parent um as a human being who did things and does things for for reasons and um is is in many ways struggling and in many ways doing all that they know how to do Mm -hmm. and how like how do you how do you like love yourself and love that person too? you know it's it's really complicated. my dad passed away, and so oh, I'm like
0: s- I'm sorry I was gonna ask if you speak to him it's me. okay
1: yeah I so i I really loved my dad <sighs> mm-hmm. I absolutely loved him yeah and after we after I went through like uh I think it was two or three years, I didn't talk to him at all, and then I let him back into my life and mm. that time when I set basically a boundary and I just didn't talk to him at all he that was like no one had really successfully like like no one that he cared about had done that really mm. and he it, it really like affected him it made him really think and he came back into my life and he was different and he was a I was already an adult but he became a parent to me Wow. in the last like two years of his
0: life wow yeah well that I'm glad that you had that time period with him me the too past yeah yeah it's really
1: sad it's like so sad and it's and it's so but I at the same time I'm
0: like so grateful Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's so sad when somebody passes, but, you know, I just feel like I've heard so many um, people, obviously, very different stories, but so so many people that, like, have this big break with their parents, and they just never reconcile, and then they just pass away. So, yeah, must at least um, use it Have that time. Yeah. Wow. This is such a fascinating story. I did not... No, you're gonna bring the heat because i feel like a lot of people come on this podcast and you know like i feel like a lot of people that i know obviously i'm very i love talking about stuff like this like my i think the way that i process things like this is talking about it openly you know and it's part of a big reason why i became a stand-up comedian you know to talk about stuff and like try to make it funny or relatable um, but I know a lot of people are not comfortable with it. Um, and that's that's also fine. and but uh I, I just love it when people, you know, do are vulnerable enough to share stuff like this. And I'm very thankful because I think, This is what I think and I had to like come to terms with this because I was like, why am I such a like a fucking overshare or something? But the truth (laughs) is that, you know, I'm like, I'm so weird. But then the truth is that so many people, it helps so many people, you know, I'm sure so many people listening to this have gone through things that are similar. Obviously, probably not to the extent like the specifics are probably not that similar, but i think so many people relate to the fact of being terrified by your dad i do your chi- your yeah. entire childhood existence just living in terror of your dad who's full of rage mm-hmm. hello every <laughs> you yeah. know that's like me and like 95% of koreans like everyone knows how that feels that is a very you know and it's it feels very cathartic to hear somebody else say that and like put a put a like a a, a like a voice behind the pain and because you know like even what you were saying um specifically in how you were talking about it being a cult like there are things that happen to you in childhood that feel so like abstract and like fluffy that you you can't even like say the word sometimes like oh it was a cult and like oh abuse and it just feels weird when you hear it coming out of your mouth but it's it's really helpful to hear somebody else say it you know and so I, I'm really, really thankful that you sh- shared your story. What a fascinating story!
1: Thank you for listening. I really
0: appreciate
1: like having a, a, just like a, a space to trauma dump. <laughs> that's like for trauma that. Dump. You should.
0: Like, <laughs> I don't... never really talk about this stuff. Yeah. Have you ever like? I feel like people will be really fascinated about just like. Have you ever like written anything about it or something or? Do you want to? Oh, God.
1: Like... I. <laughs> well, you, I like you just wrote a book Again. and I cannot wait to read your book.
0: Um, I don't know if I have that in me. How, That's like, a fascinating story. I'm... What a fascinating story. And I feel like the fact that you knew how to, like, align, like, you knew the correlation between the internment camp and, you know, your, your grandfather and what he went through and how it, like, uh, affected your life today and i'm gonna say a lot of parts of your story though are stuff that i've written about in the book like i have a whole part about my uh, my parents being children and so i was like yeah i totally know what you feel i i know that feeling it's like they were supposed to they were supposed to be the ones with the rules yeah um and i'm sorry that you have to go through that but
1: I'm sorry that that you had to go through it. I, the experience of being an adult, an adultified child isn't very like horrible. Thought like people don't really think about that, but it's horrible. It really is.
0: Yeah, it really is horrible. And but you know what? That this is the thing. A lot of people, and um, this is something I learned in therapy. A lot of people because one of the things that I went through and I didn't realize this until very recently was like negligent abuse, which is your parents are just not there at the capacity that they should be. Right. And I learned that that is one of the hardest kinds of abuse to diagnose or to get the person to realize that they went through, because it's like if you go through physical abuse or, you know, all any other kind of abuse, it's like something's being done to you. But negligent abuse is like something that should be having been done is not done, right? Right. So it's like the absence yeah. of something, which is really hard right. to realize that you needed. Because
1: if you've never that. had it done, then yep. you don't
0: know that it's supposed to be done. Because you're a kid. Yep, and that's so hard. F- that realization. It took. I literally just realized that that's what I went through as a kid. And I was like, damn, that sucked. And it like it, I didn't realize until I had my own kid. And when he was six, I like remember that I was left alone at home when I was six. And I was like, what the fuck? Like looking at my six-year-old and like sometimes like I'll be in the kitchen and he gets scared because he's like, mom. And I'm like, I can't <laughs> imagine leaving him alone at home all night, you know, like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, you have I mean and you all, like you've done um you've also like spent so uh, so much uh, time and energy uh, um learning how to function like uh learning how to how to function like a person and yeah. like getting to a place where like you are like an amazing parent and you and I mean, I don't you know, know how to like
0: <laughs> yeah
1: you are probably Better at parenting than maybe what a lot of other of us have experienced YouTube, like, from our own YouTube parents. YouTube mommy
0: vloggers, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> yes,
1: like Mormon YouTube mommy yeah. vloggers. Sorry. Yeah. The one that just went uh, to jail
0: for 60 years. Anyone that starts a child rare like a mommy YouTuber account, boo, tomato. Something's up with that. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 but like I just I think it's like I mean I like love that about your story that it's like you went through all of this shit you went through so much shit and um and like when you go through all that it there's so many different ways that you can like try to process it and try to deal with it I think that like you doing comedy is is um so like I think that's such a cool way to like, ex- like, you know, transmute what like whatever, like these painful experiences are and like this podcast that you do, um, like
0: transmutation through humor is like life saving, I think. Well, thank you for so much for say- saying that. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like, I guess that kind of goes along with what I was saying about, you know, like sharing our traumas. Uh, people you know people have said that to me they're like oh like thank you for sharing and that must be so hard but for me it's like the opposite it's like the only way i know how to deal with it you know is telling everybody
1: (laughs) that doesn't make it less important that you know and i know like yeah it's hard to hear people say like oh you're doing a good job like good like i know that's that could be hard but yeah um but what you do is really cool and, and I think gen- in general, comedy is a such a like a crucial and life-saving, honestly,
0: art form. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are people who you know, for thousands of millions of years people have laughed through their pain. So Yeah. <sighs> Wait, can I say one thing that I heard? I know that this is going so over time. Oh, but like, oh my God, it's been so long. But like one thing that I heard that I thought I I found so helpful. I just want to share this uh, because in case people are listening to this, um, I just saw some it was probably on TikTok. I just saw something where it said um, the I think emotional intelligence or being okay or like recovering from trauma one one important factor of that that people don't realize is forgiving yourself. Mm. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, that's why it's easy. Not easy, but I think that was something that happened and I can hear it in like your story too where you have to forgive yourself and if you do something quote unquote bad... You have to forgive that to be able to forgive other people and humanize them and sort of, you know, like what you were saying about like your grandfather and your dad, like they were trying their best and you have this like grace when you think of them, even though they caused you so much harm. It's like I think the first step of that that a lot of people don't realize is you have to like forgive yourself when you fuck up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I remember just I heard that somewhere and it just like it it was something that I think through the process of my healing, I had done without really noticing. Like I had to do this thing where I was like, oh, you know what? I fucked up, whatever. I'm fine. And then and then I could process the fact that other people fucked up and hurt me and that's fine.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also really hard for Asian people generally to be like, "I, I made a mistake, but it's okay. Whoopsie. Yeah. The shame the shame and guilt <laughs> yeah yeah oh. um yeah and like the you know the the, the way that we ha- like feel like we need to forgive ourselves even when we're thinking about situations where like we were being abused you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um in in those situations how i how i think of it is like um i'm not gonna hold the the blame for someone else yeah like that's it's that's such a um that's such a like destructive part so of destructive. of abuse of any kind of abuse yes. is like the abuser is doesn't
0: want to deal with their own shame and they put it onto yeah someone else you can't hold on to that for them you cannot because it doesn't belong to you no yeah
1: no it's theirs and that's the
0: hardest step Return for it. people to to cross over and the healing doesn't yeah. start until then. You Somebody did yeah. something bad to you. It wasn't your fault. They made you feel like it was your fault. And until you realize that it wasn't your fault and you forgive yourself for this fake thing that someone told you was your fault, you're not going to get over to the other side. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to do. And also, if you have a hard time forgiving yourself, you should... Don't be so hard on yourself because you were made to feel that yeah. way. Like people, like yeah, brainwashed yeah. you into thinking that it's ne- it's never it was not your fault, and you got to start there. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, unless you're a forty five year old alcoholic, then it is your fault. You ruined your family's <laughs> life. <laughs> you should go to AA. You were like li- you should go to AA. You're piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway well it's sorry like i feel like this has been so long and i don't want to keep you but thank you so much for joining no i'm us. like having the best time okay. and thank you so much this has been a fascinating yeah. episode i'm like i could talk to you for hours and this is so interesting i could talk to
1: you for hours
0: you should have a podcast about your cults people love cult content yeah, they do yeah yeah yeah
1: i mean i think um I think it would be interesting to interview like the other
0: kids who grew up in that environment. I would love to see it. I've
1: um, yeah, it's really like sometimes we'll kind of like, I'll remember something out of the blue about the cult and text, um, my friend who also grew up in that, uh, like this, sl- like I'll remember th- <laughs> at one point they, um, <clears throat> they call they wouldn't call, Okay, there we where we grew up. There was a slug infestation. Oh God! Okay, slugs everywhere. Slugs in the gardens, eating everyone's vegetables. Huge slug problem wow. on this island where I grew up, and um and the slugs were a source of consternation for like the members of this religion. This, uh, they um wow they were constantly talking about the slugs, like it was like a part it, it was a part of their religion that's that so they cool. had to figure out what to do and they would call them the slug
0: nation wow that's an extremely and they niche go. religion that religion had zero chance of existing outside that island it would have never made it like, three people would join like in seattle they'd be like "What? what's this whole chapter on the slugs we don't get it what is this, what are the slugs do they stand they for co- something a their- metaphor <laughs> <laughs> it's just slugs it's
1: slugs they were like singing and chanting God, and like doing spells and doing magic and like going into the sweat lodge because they just wanted the slugs to stop eating their vegetable garden
0: they yeah, had zero chance of making it the blue sparkly <laughs> people we We were we we were like on on the on the edge with the blue sparkly people, but the slugs that you lost us at the slugs. (laughs) I love I like what a slug nation. What if like in the beginning of Christianity, like people were like, yeah, we this is the the best religion ever, and then they got to the like, don't eat shrimp, and then they're like, wait, you you lost us, folks. What what is this? We, we were fine with the apple full of poison or whatever, but the fucking shrimp. Okay, relax. We were fine with the sacrifice really- your oldest son shit, but the shrimps. Okay, <laughs> relax. <laughs> That's
1: where I draw the line. I draw the line. We were fine with the Crusades. We were fine
0: with all of... We were fine with colonization. God parted the sea and put two animals on a boat. I believed all that, but he doesn't (laughs) want me to eat shrimp, bitch. I don't think so. (laughs) come on. What kind of God? (laughs) 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 And then what if that was the end of Christianity and it never spread after that? Ah, If only. You could start... You could start a re- we could start our own religion. Right? Where you could you're allowed to eat yeah. shrimp.
1: You're allowed to eat shrimp. That's the only that's that's it. That's the whole religion. If you want to, you can forgive
0: yourself for eating shrimp. You don't have to. Yeah.
1: You can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um okay, well we're I already plugged your store, umeshiso underscore at Instagram. You can purchase uh wonderful spoons. I got the spoon with the cat on it. I think there was one with the oh, butterflies yeah. that were sold out. But I think they're back in stock. Oh, yeah. We got more. I'll send you some. Oh, my God. No, I'll buy some. I feel. I, I use no, the chopsticks and the spoons every day. And I always fish out the fork because it's like the most sad. You know, like when the utensils are satisfying and you have like a whole drawer. But then there's the one yeah. fork that you like. Yeah. I have to say your fork is the one fork that I like. I like look for it. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. it is you Perfect so fork much perfect fork shape
1: thank you that gives me a lot of confidence to be honest because I felt really
0: insecure about that fork so I I love that it's like the best fork shape but then and so to the point where I will make Mino use the other forks but he doesn't notice he doesn't seem to care <laughs> so I'm always like okay he gets this one <laughs> it's funny I'll I just have to send to you guys some more fork. forks <laughs> the perfect fork shape <laughs>
1: Um okay so um well thank you so much. I know that like I've been talking forever. Um I appreciate you so much and I'm like I've had such an amazing time talking with you.
0: Me too. This is a fascinating episode. I'm sure people are really gonna be so fascinated by everything that you said. And I know that a lot of people are gonna relate to you because I know even even though like I said, the the like little details are very different, but they're very relatable feelings that a lot of people go through. Um so yeah, your Instagram is Umi so If you want to follow the podcast, it's a Harry Butthole podcast on Instagram. And then I'm at YM Mayor or Young Me on TikTok. Thank you so much. Pre-order, pre-order at Young book. Oh my god, pre-order my book. I sh- I have not pre-order. been yes. I should be saying it on the podcast. You guys pre-order, pre-order my that. book or the haters win. I've been saying that. Haters and the losers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, (laughs) Bye. bye! Bye!